Hello, and welcome to Be the Serpent, a podcast of extremely deep literary merit with your classy and sophisticated hosts, Alexandra Rowland, Freya Mask, and Jennifer Mace. On today's episode, we're discussing Mating the Huntress by Talia Hibbert, Fated by Mayday, and Deconstruct by Flower City. Hello and welcome to episode 66, You Broke It, You Bond It. I'm Alex and I'm the Soul Marks one. I'm Freya and I'm the Telepathic Bonds one. I'm Macy and I am Hannah Hockey Disease. <laughs> we are three redheaded fantasy authors. And today we get to talk about soulmates and finding that one true destined person uh-huh. on the other end of your red thread of fate. <laughs> uh, but before we get into all that, what are we reading, fellow serpents? So remember in the historical fantasy episode, we talked about The Watchmaker of Filigree Street by Natasha Pulley. Mm. She has recently released the sequel, which oh, is called ooh. The Lost Future of Pepper Harrow. And I didn't know there was going to be a sequel. Yeah, this is very sequel. exciting. Yes, News. and it features the same sort of central characters, the same look at the idea of clairvoyance ah. and luck and a bit of stuff to do with fate and destiny and ghosts of the future and the past. And it's Amazing. set mostly in Japan this time. Cool. So as usual with Natasha Pulley, I read it and then put the book down and heaved this great big sigh <laughs> of, why can't I do that? And salt from yeah. it. Yep. That's amazing. Uh, I also read... Aliette de Bedard's new novella of Dragons, Feasts, and Wizards, which is a sequel to her Dominions of the Fallen trilogy, featuring one of the central couples in that who have to go to the court of the Vietnamese dragons and solve a mystery while one husband tries to keep diplomatic peace and the other husband just wants to stab everyone. Which yeah, mm. yeah. extremely enjoyable. <laughs> Uh, and I've also started reading the Lady Sherlock series by Sherry Thomas, which is a his- series of historical mysteries, which are obviously a take on the Sherlock Holmes stories in which Sherlock Holmes is the assumed identity of a young woman called Charlotte Holmes, hmm. who ends up solving mysteries by pretending she has a brother called Sherlock Holmes, who is very <laughs> ill and can't be seen by anyone. Uh, but if people bring their troubles into his parlor, she will sit there and take notes. <laughs> <It's>, Amazing. <laughs> so far, I've read one and a half of these books. The first one is A Study in Scarlet Women. And the writing is wonderful. They've got really great characters. They're heaps of fun. So I'm probably going to devour the second and third in pretty close succession. Hmm. Whereas I only managed to finish the tent poles for this fic to this episode two hours ago. Yay. Uh, <laughs> because I spent, I took six days last week to edit an entire 126,000 word book. Um, because Yay. marathon. Um, so my book is now We're very Out proud with of humans. You. And two humans have already read the whole thing, which I think is witchcraft. Wow. Uh, in a week. How? Um, but I did read Realm of Ash by Tasha Suri, who is a good friend of the Serpents, and that book is just really, really good. Um, Isn't Tasha just amazing? Like yeah. Tasha's just like really good at things. It, so it's the sequel to An Empire of Sand, um, and this is a book about the younger sister of the main character of the first book, and the younger sister is just this 
absolutely feral, furious gremlin widow child who wants to stab everything, except she's been very well trained in being a properly brought up young lady. And so mm. doesn't do nearly as much stabbing as she really feels she would prefer to be doing, um, which uh, is a mood. That's, yeah, that's yes. very relatable in today's climate. And she has a like hot, gentle mentor boy um, who teaches her things about mysteries and magic. Um, and then they eventually make out. So that's good. Great. And I also have started a horror show, a TV show, because The Terror has appeared on Hulu. And uh, Cassie this is the one about been... the Arctic, right? <laughs> yes, it's about the Arctic and like white people fucking up the lives of Inuits and getting their mm. just desserts. Um, and I'm only two episodes in and we already have some gays. Um, so I'm feeling like Cassie gets to recommend me things. Uh, I, yeah, I knew some people who were very into that and they looked at it. And I think I watched a trailer or something. And I was like, this looks depressing. <laughs> I, I mean, you're probably not wrong. I'm pretty sure everyone's <laughs> going to die. Yes. Oh, yes. Of course. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Uh, I reread one of my favorite fanfics of all time, Demonology and the Triphasic Model of Trauma, colon, An Integrative Approach by NNM, which is a Good Omens fanfic. Uh, the elevator pitch is just Crowley goes to therapy. Uh, and then therapy goes to Crowley. <laughs> um. Every time you pitch this fic, it makes me think of, um, what's his name? Lucifer, the TV show. Oh, yes. Another one about, go uh, uh, the, the devil goes to therapy. <laughs> devil goes to therapy. Yes, indeed. Uh, I've seen like two seasons of that TV show and I was enjoying it quite a lot. Let's see what else. I am. I just started a very large quilt project. I decided to take up quilting, and that means that I have also been listening to podcasts. Uh, I have binged once again. I've been rereading and re-listening to a lot of <laughs> things. Uh, I've binged um, the balance arc of the Adventure Zone, uh, as well as reading books two and three of the Adventure Zone graphic novel series. Uh, book three just came out a couple days ago. They did an amazing, amazing job adapting this this story for graphic novels, and I highly, highly recommend it. Um, I don't think you two have listened to it, right? No. I have. I listened. To, I listened to the Balance Arc when it came as it oh, okay. came out. Okay, cool. Uh, and I have read Ray the first two. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I have read the first two of the graphic novel books. I have not read the third yet because I have not been to my comic shop mm. in oh, a very long time. Wonderful. Well. Macy is just very bad at listening to things. That's fair. Uh, are you into graphic novels at all? I read the words in graphic mm. novels. <laughs> sure. <laughs> I, I all right, I think we can put this one aside as not for Macy's for the moment. I, I very much appreciate them and they're really pretty to look at, but it just never occurs to me that the pictures are part of the story. Mm. Yeah, because you're just so much more of a verbal kind of person. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Cool, cool. Uh, and then I think that you two have some cool news to talk about as well. Is that correct? We do. This is a slightly belated announcement, but the charity anthology that Iona Dat Sharma has put together to raise money for an NHS charity, it's called Consolation Songs. And mm. it is now available. I'm sure the scribes will hunt up some links for you. It features optimistic SFF short stories. Uh, the, the pitch was of people sort of working for a better world, ordinary people mm. working for a better world. And there is a story by me in it, which yes. is about death's vegetable garden and small domestic pleasures and 
how tiring it is to be living in a world that is disastrous and how you keep walking uphill anyway. Mm. Nice. It's very Australian, listeners. It's it very, is. It is very, quite like, an Australian suburban Australian, which I enjoyed experiencing. Well, it's, it, it's kind of secretly set in New Zealand. I just didn't tell anyone. <laughs> well, not so secretly. One of the, one of the characters is Maori, uh, but I... it could be set in either suburban New Zealand or in suburban Australia. Doesn't matter. Fair. That's cool. Fair. And meanwhile, I have had a poem come out with Uncanny, Yay! which has always been a bucket list item: is to have something Woo! in Uncanny. And mm-hmm. I did not anticipate it would be a poem, but um, if you would like to go read a small piece about a sad millennial turning into a jellyfish and then getting better, mm. um, <laughs> also a mood. That's where it is. Yep. I mean, right? Macy occasionally right? does this thing where she'll just like commit a poem um, in the dead of yeah. night. <laughs> <laughs> sometimes without even realizing it and i'll come across it like a week or two later and be like who put this <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah that's, that's how poetry works fine. that is how poetry works they manifest one, one anyway. time macy wrote me a poem about a very oh, small fish and i cherish it to this day yeah <laughs> alex was like could you write about a small fish and the things we owe to one well, another and i'm like i can. technically technically you were like alex i need to write a poem about something give me something that's to write me. about and i said write about a yeah. small fish <laughs> Anyway, shall we have an episode? That was a different poem. Let's have a fucking episode, please. Yes. Uh, Who's in charge? Who's driving the bus? Not me, so I'm going to ask the question. Who wants to define some terms? (laughs) No. What is a soulmate, Alex? (sighs) (laughs) All right. A soulmate is someone who (laughs) is destined for you specifically it is someone who it's like the one person well not necessarily the one person sometimes you can have like a couple different soulmates and they're like different kinds of soulmate but it's like a person who is destined to have a deeply profound bond with you in some way mm. mm-hmm. that's about very Freya, good would you agree i would agree and i think there is also for it to be a proper soulmate relationship then there has to be this idea of reciprocity mm. So you, they are your soulmate hmm. and you are their soulmate, I think is a usual way of presenting mm-hmm. it. Right. I think there's definitely tragedies in which it's unrequited, but that is it's kind of a subversion, right? That Yeah, that's something Yeah, else. if we're looking at the classic version of the trope is, mm-hmm. the classic version is two people who are destined to be the most important relationship to one another. Right. And it's nothing, to, and it's less to do with choice as it is to do with predestination. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes. And then once you hit fanfic. (laughs) Oh, yes. I had some taxonomies because I love me a taxonomy. Um, And I think there's all sorts of different ways of doing soulmates. I think that soulmates and soul bonds are a thing that fanfic has really kind of latched onto and done a ton of really cool things Mm -hmm. with world building, with developing tropes and magic systems around them. This is one of those, like, it's a little bit like ABO in that it's, kind of this mutual world building that we've done yeah yeah like if you if somebody has a first words soulmate you know how that works yes whatever fandom you're in so one of my taxonomies here is whether the soulmate works by fate or by creation like whether you can choose somebody as your soulmate and mark Mm -hmm. them and create a bond for yourself the way that vulcan soulmates kind of work right Mm. That's a soul bond, but not necessarily a soul mate. Mm. Would you agree? 
I'm just trying to think if I agree you can have a bond in the absence of... I see, I think I think that having a soul bond kind of means you have to use the word soulmate about the person on the other end of the bond. I mean, but would you say that, like, the Vulcan-Pomfar marriage bond is not a soul bond? Because I would think that's, like, a classical soul bond. Well, the thing is, I don't really know enough about how it's actually <laughs> presented in the Star Trek canon. I only know what I know from fic. For example, that whole idea of the, what's that word, like the Tyler or whatever it is, which is, was in a footnote to a novelization (laughs) and the entire fandom went, "Mm." (laughs) this sounds like something we can get behind and has exploded into fanon. Yeah. It's the same concept as the Chinese concept that the Untame was was using to describe the relationship between Lan Wangji and um, Wei Wuxian, right? Which gets translated as soulmate. But my understanding was it's kind of like a poetic concept that really means somebody who gets you, somebody who kind of resonates on the same frequency as yeah. you and really understands you. It's like your you. lifelong confidant, mm. I think, is the the more right literal translation. But I'm sure that there are other people out there who can define that better than we can. Anyway, I'm getting sidetracked because I was talking taxonomies of soulmates. Yes. Um, there's another dichotomy in soulmate tropes we frequently see is the difference between the type of soulmate where you have a clue mm-hmm. and you can go on a search for them you can kind of go on a quest you've got some sort of word written on you or they write to you on your skin and you can write back or you have some name that you learn at your birth and then there's the type of soulmate where you only figure it out when you touch or the first time that you kiss or the first time that your eyes meet across a crowd and <laughs> um <laughs> How about you? Do you have any other types of soulmates that you kind of sort these into? Not really when it comes to the type of bond or the type of soulmate itself. I find it interesting when we're discussing fan fiction to think about where that trope comes from. Is it something that's actually part of the canon it's being Mm. used within, like in Star Mm -hmm. Trek? Or is it something that's a fusion, as is one of the fanfics that we're going to talk about today? Or is it just a whole new AU that has been imposed upon the canon for the purposes of the fanfic, and that may have come out of this strange agreed-upon <laughs> idea of what kinds of soulmates and soul bonds and soul marks there can be that has grown organically in fandom mm-hmm. without actually possibly having a specific root. Yes. Yeah. Now I'm thinking of this as fandom as a mushroom farm. But anyway. Uh- <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if fandom's going to grow anything, it's going to be various ways for you to find the one person you're meant to bone. Yeah. Like- <laughs> you are not wrong. You are not wrong. Yep. But you have our first tentpole for us, Freya. So I'm I giving do. you a snake bus. So I did have to go and think about what are we going to do about a non-fanfic tentpole. Mm. <laughs> and the answer is where you go looking for soulmates and soul bonds in non-fandom is in romance. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. So the genres of paranormal romance especially, but also specific types of science fiction romance, is where you will find a lot of fated mates. <laughs> and especially mates as they are presented in this particular novella by Talia Hibbert. Mm. So our first tentpole is called Mating the Huntress. So you know pretty much up front <laughs> what you're getting out of this. It is a charming romance novella about a woman called Chastity, who is <laughs> one of a family of monster hunters, and she is the one who's not allowed to because there was a prophecy made that her first kill would rip out her heart. So the rest of her family are very protective and have said, no, no, you can just 
stay at home and not hunt monsters, but she really mm-hmm. wants to kill monsters. I loved how stabby she was. She was just like, she's so the whole, like first half of the book, she's <laughs> like, I want to stab something. <laughs> yeah, it's repressed yeah. stabbiness. She's not been allowed to yeah. do it. Uh, and and her mate, her one true love, is Luke, who is a werewolf, who sees this beautiful woman working in the coffee shop and, and immediately recognizes her, her as his destined mm-hmm. mate and thinks, I need to protect her and love her and cherish her. And she sees him and goes, this idiot doesn't think that I know he's a werewolf. I want to stab him to death. <laughs> And thus, a meat cute. <laughs> so amazing. <laughs> I mean, you're, you're also missing, though, that, like, Luke had previously smelled his destined mate because one of her sisters who was hunting oh, him yes. had yeah. borrowed her hoodie. <laughs> and so he, like, tracks her down from the scrap of a red hoodie because this novella knows what you like. It, yes. does, it does know exactly what you like, and it delivers it in heaps with style. with style in like by the wagon load by the wheelbarrow <laughs> load my god i'm you, so glad you guys liked this i liked it Tell so you much it's so really funny. really nice romance novels it was it was it was, it so, was funny. so funny it was so so deeply funny um talia hibbert it's like the werewolf sitting there with a dagger in his chest going and i'm still hard, I'm still hard. <laughs> and could you please take this dagger out of me and then we're going to sit down and have like a serious conversation about how loving couples shouldn't stab each other <laughs> talia hibbert won my whole heart on like page three when the werewolf is like i have googled how to talk to a girl and i am going to talk to this girl now <laughs> Without making her fear how to for her how life. to talk to a girl without making to... without making her fear for her life yes <clears throat> yeah but basically you're right in that that thing about him smelling her scent on her hoodie is very important because yep. a lot yes. of the stories in this genre that rely on a fated mate the recognition right. happens through scent. And I'm sure right. someone somewhere has made a beautiful spreadsheet of all the different scents of one's mate, which you see a lot in the ABO setups (laughs) Mm -hmm. in fandom as well as to the specific things. And I can't remember exactly what it is. I think one of the scents for chastity was red velvet cake. Yeah. She loves cake. Oh gosh. Of course. Of course. (laughs) So you can come up with personality appropriate smells. And I think that some of this stuff, particularly in the werewolf genre, right, is coming from some of these like mistaken impressions of wolves and wolf behavior right where wolves mate for life and also wolves have a good sense of smell yeah so of course they must have a destined mate by smell i really want like fucking um mandarin duck shifter Uh-huh. Like, if we're going to go with animals who famously mate for life, where are my ducks at? There are some pretty odd corners of Shifter fandom. I'm pretty sure, and Shifter novels out there, I'm pretty sure you could find. Just, I don't know if you could find Mandarin ducks. Darling let's listeners, be darling listeners, if you give or write me Mandarin duck shifting soulmates, I will write you a poem. Ooh, ooh, high stakes here. That is. A- I don't know that it'll be a good poem, but I will write you I know you I one. have seen were hedgehogs outside of Witcher yep. fanfic. Of Witcher fanfic. <laughs> no, no, other than Witcher fanfic. Other than Witcher mm. fanfic, I've seen were hedgehogs. Yep. yep. So okay. I think I need to go on a brief corner as the person on the podcast <laughs> who reads the most in the romance genre mm-hmm. yep. about 
the bonkers stuff that paranormal and SF romance does when it comes to soulmates. Please. Now, I'm going to preface this by saying I actually haven't read the two things that I'm going to talk about, but I have heard a lot about them on other podcasts, and I'm especially going to recommend the Heaving Bosoms podcast, which is two people recapping romance novels, and they have recapped extensively some of the things in this genre, and I have thoroughly enjoyed the experience of listening to them talk about it, so that I can now tell you about Mm -hmm. the Ice Planet Barbarians series, which is about... A group of human women who, for reasons that I'm not quite sure about, end up being crash-landed on an ice planet and taken in by a large group of barbarian aliens. And the way soulmatehood works in this particular series is you get given a little internal parasite, Mm -hmm. which Uh, is called a Kui, and when you come across the person who is the best suited for you, and unfortunately this is in terms of whose genetics will best mingle with your genetics in the mm. production of offspring rather than will you get along with them? Although the implication is, of course you will because they are your soulmate. Your cooey starts to hum and vibrate in your chest. Okay. And their cooey hums and vibrates in their chest. So it's and the Furby AU? Yeah, it's a little weird. It's Furby but- eugenics, sure. Oh, God. <laughs> More t-shirts that we are never selling. Like they just, they talked about a book where... Because it's so based on reproduction, one of the women, like, of course, it's this, like, whole series of how these various women fall in love with various aliens, where one of the women had an IUD when she came to the planet, and her Kui, when it was has been working oh, very Lord. hard to get rid of her IUD so she can have children, and so she only hears it start to resonate when her IUD okay. is essentially ejected Ow! from her body. Look... There's some stuff going down in in this particular genre. Apparently they are incredibly entertaining books, which I will believe. But that sort of shows you that this idea of who is destined for you in that particular sense was who are you going to have nice genetic babies with? Which I think fandom kind of rejects wholeheartedly. Yeah. I think fandom's a bit too gay for that. Yeah. Yeah, probably. I think he's too gay to not have thought about. Yeah. Yeah. You know? I think there's some corners of ABO that do do that, right? Where it's all about breeding, like you're going to breed your mate. Yeah. Gross. Okay, gross. Let's move on from here. <laughs> <laughs> um, your kink is not my kink and that's okay. Um, yeah. There is one thing in this fic that I found pretty interesting, which was some soulmate bonds or soulmate compatibilities um, make the characters more receptive to each other. And this was definitely one of those, right? It made them more turned on by each other, more attracted to each other than they would otherwise have been, which I find super interesting because um, it comes back to the like, almost like nature versus Mm. nurture argument. Like, would you have been their soulmate? Would you have been super attracted to them if you'd met without this impetus, would you have still actually been a good match for them? Um, and so that's kind of interesting to me. When our soulmate bonds just, as we'll see with our third tent pole, like you two would make really good life partners and this bond is not going to do anything about that. Mm-hmm. You just would. And when is the bond kind of putting um, energy into making that happen? Right. Mm. And I think the and the extent to which the characters are aware of the possibility of a soulmate and a soul bond contributes to 
the romance arc in any mm-hmm. of these. So for a novella, this actually has quite a lot of hurdles yeah. for the two people to overcome. Not on Luke's part, because <laughs> he sees her, he smells her, that's it, we're done, we're going to get married eventually. But he has to convince right. Chastity, and she has to overcome, number one, her desire <laughs> God, to I love her. <laughs> number two, the fact that she thinks that werewolves are mm-hmm. not, not properly people, yeah. human. Like, she has to come to terms with the fact that he is a fully sentient and creative and caring right. person. She is. And he's number very three, soft. the fact that he's very he's soft. He's very like soft. He's art boy. <laughs> and number three, the fact that he is telling her, you are my mate. We are destined. This has to happen. Which, if somebody walked off the street <laughs> and said that to you, I can't imagine you would respond particularly well. As opposed to growing up in a world where soulmates are an accepted right. part of society, where even if you don't quite like the idea, mm-hmm. at least you've come across it right. before, rather than it being imposed on you at a certain point in your life. So let's talk then about the next fic, which is one of my favourite soulmate fics, possibly one of my favourite fics, um, which is Fated by Mayday, which is a Yuri on Ice, Yuri Victor soulmate fic set in the Loveless universe. And have either of you two come across Loveless before? I watched Loveless way back in like 2004. It was one of the very first animes that I watched. And I only have extreme... I don't think I watched that much of it. I think I only watched like maybe 10 episodes. Mm. Um, So I, I have... I have a rough understanding of it, but not that much. The extent of my knowledge was the words virgin catboy. Yep. That's how <laughs> wonderful. So I was quite surprised when all of the random dark magic fighting oh, shit yes. came on. <laughs> so Loveless is this deeply fucked up but delightful um, show slash manga about these um, battle battle magic couples, basically where bondage metal magic couples specifically mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. where yeah that was very bondage <laughs> where, where you know that you have the fighter and the sacrifice and the fighter does magic and the sacrifice every time that you are hit by the enemy's attack your sacrifice gets more tied up in some quite gnarly like metal restraints um so that's the background of this fic this fic is much less dark than Loveless canon. Um, so in this fic, we have a 20-something-year-old Yuri Katsuki who has never been much of a figure stater. He dances and he figure skates, but he's not competitive, who has lived in his hometown his whole life, and whose sister, Mari, is the... She's the sacrifice or the fighter, I forget. She's the sacrifice, mm-hmm. right. yeah. Is the sacrifice to Minako, uh, Yuri's dance teacher. And so Yuri has been living with the knowledge that some people, and this is like a secret society thing, some people have soulmates. Um, and he's not quite sure what that is and what it means, but he knows that his sister gets injured a lot. But he also sees that they have this super loving bond. And Mari has always told him that one day he will get a name of his own, because these pair, these bonded pairs have a name that defines the couple. Um, mm-hmm. But he's never got one. And then one day, this mysterious... Ice blonde Russian shows up in town, <laughs> and Yuri is like, "I'm gonna climb that like a tree." Love that for him. Well, I think there's less of a certainty that it's going to happen right. to him because it's only when I think everyone kind of has a sense that he might be a sacrifice because yep. he kind of pings off whatever the sense that you have for somebody who might be. But involved you can in never know world. for sure until it happens. 
Right. Yes. So there's never a, you're definitely going to have a soulmate right. well, in this world. It's, you might be somebody who has a soulmate. Well, it's kind of. But so you might not. You, you, there are some people who get a name early. Um, mm-hmm. before they've ever met their soulmate. And then it is, you have the potential to, but your soulmate might have died. You might never meet mm. them. So so there's some people who kind of know that they are half of a whole, which I don't think we got any of those examples. So Yeah, and it's not the other person's name that appears. No. It's, it's a word yep. that is the name of your team. Yep. <laughs> like, like the name of your Jaeger, if you are in Pacific Rim. Yes, it's very drift compatible, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> so what did you guys think? So the thing that I really liked about this fic is... That, like the way it was having some really amazing conversations about what soulmates mean and what it means to be like destined for someone versus mm-hmm. like just really, really attracted to them. Because in the first like fucking probably half of the fic, probably more than that, mm-hmm. um, for the majority of the fic, Yuri and Victor don't know that they're soulmates um, because Yuri right. doesn't have a name on him. Um, but they have this like deep attraction to each other and this deep, very profound bond. And they don't really know what to make of it because like, well, we're not soulmates though. And um, right. they think that uh, Victor is actually supposed to be mated to um, Yuri Plisetsky, um right. who also doesn't have a name on him yet, but it's because he's young and he's like still growing. Um, and like Victor and Yuri have a very contentious, uh, Yuri Plisetsky have a very con- contentious relationship um and they haven't really like settled into a partnership together right and so like yuri katsuki has a lot of guilt about like wanting to be with this person but not wanting to like come between them and how do you navigate that in a world where like your name is written on your skin uh, like, the name that you share is written on your skin. And, like, mm-hmm. like can you have a meaningful relationship with someone outside of that bond? Um, so, yeah, super fascinating mm. conversation. I thought it tied in really well to how this relationship works in Yuri on Ice canon mm. and also how Yuri Katsuki's character journey mm. works in Yuri on Ice canon because it's about him coming into confidence for himself. Right. yeah. And in this fic, it's him going, I don't deserve Victor because I might be taking him away from something bigger mm-hmm. mm. and something larger that he is meant to be part of. And in the series, that's Yuri's guilt about Victor having oh. quit skating to be his coach. Very cool. And, right. you know, I can't, and, you know, I can't have Victor. Victor's meant to be for the world. Yeah. Mm. Um, and then he slowly becomes more selfish and becomes saying, yes, actually, Victor is mine. I'm going to hold on yep. to you. And we see exactly that take place in this fit where he reaches the point of saying actually i don't care if we're not soulmates i don't care that you have a name that might appear on somebody else's body you're mine i'm going to protect you yeah. even if this name fated never appears on my skin yeah which is i thought that was a very nice way of doing it and i think that's what makes a good fusion is when you can use one of the canons to enhance yes the true story that takes place in the yes. other yes and also the thing that I suspect is that the name would not have appeared on Yuri's skin at all if he hadn't chased it so hard. If he hadn't, like, right. thrown himself into this relationship and, like, said to himself, I am deciding to be part of this. I am deciding to be here for Victor. I am deciding to be Victor's sacrifice. And, like, whether or not I have a name doesn't matter. Like, this is it. This is it for me. Um, and it's because he, like, opens himself up to it wholeheartedly that the name comes to him. Yeah, and it only comes when he steps into a fight right. and says, 
I will act as the sacrifice. Yeah. And it's very ironic because the name is fated rather than anything else. Yeah. But and it is actually a choice. Yeah. But it's actually a choice. And that's yeah. something yeah. that's super interesting with this particular soulmate canon coming out of um coming out of Loveless because there's a lot of conversation in Loveless canon about the meaning of these words, right? Because they're not mm -hmm. just matching you with someone. They're also saying something very profound about you, but it's almost never quite what you think it is. Like the main mm. canon, the main character in Loveless canon, his name is Loveless. Um, uh, and spoilers for Loveless. Uh, this is because... His... <laughs> which came out like half our, year, half our lives I ago. I don't even know if it's finished. Anyway, uh, which is that his psychotic older brother killed his match. Mm. So he's never going to have a match. Um, and the ways that that character chooses to defy that, uh, which I think we see in this fic as well. Mm. Well, I think the reason I liked that particular level of irony is because you're fairly sure as a reader, <laughs> you are reading yes. a soulmate fic called <laughs> Fated. You know yeah. that Victor and Yuri are meant to be together. There's some yeah. like fuzzy half telepathy stuff going on. But at the same time, you don't know 100% right. for sure whether this name is actually ever going to appear on Yuri or not. Right. And mm -hmm. every time something happens in the fic that makes it seem like it sh should <laughs> Um, when they have sex and he loses his virginity cat ears yep. and tail, which for, I don't know what these are doing in this canon. They don't seem to have anything to do with the soulmate stuff. They're just virginity cat Loveless ears. Loveless has a big purity thing. Yeah. Yeah. But Loveless anyway. just like, anyway, darling listeners, in Loveless canon, if you're a virgin, you're a cat. Well, you're a cat boy. Yeah. Or cat girl. Or cat, or cat girl. girl. Anyway. anyway but, but, but so they, they sleep together. Yuri loses his ears and his tail in a very weird purity symbol, uh, but the name doesn't appear. And right. every time something like that happens, every time they get closer together or swear themselves to one another and the mm. name doesn't appear, you as the reader become a little bit more unsure. Right. Even though you're pretty sure you know what kind of story you're reading, yeah. you do think, okay, is this actually a story in which we are subverting this trope and they're going to be allowed to choose one another even without the soul bond. Right. Because there mm -hmm. are quite a lot of fics that do that. Right. Now that soul soulmates and soul bonds are such a widespread and well-used trope, you can find stories that are about, fuck destiny, let's make a choice. Yep. Yep. And I think that was one of the things I do really like in this fic, is how many different soulmate pairings we see. Mm -hmm. Yes. Because you have a whole range of different ways that this has worked or has not worked. You have, you know... Um, fuck, I'm forgetting their names now. You have Yakov and Lilia. Lilia. You have Yakov and Lilia who essentially chose each other. Like there was a blank sacrifice, a blank fighter. They wrote their name on them and divorced accidentally mm. or like got tricked into thinking the other one had betrayed them and separated traumatically. Um, and that's yep. not meant to happen in a soulmate, right? And everyone's kind of like, maybe they were weaker because they chose each other rather than being destined yeah, and I liked what all the different couples showed you about this idea of power balance and the mm. different roles that the two people play. As the sacrifice is the one who takes all the damage and doesn't do the fighting, but they're technically also the one who is in charge. Yep. Like yep. they're the one who is directing the fight and telling the fighter what to do. And I really liked the – I really loved actually the portrayal of Yuri Plasetsky and Otebeck so in this cute. one with Otebeck coming in and looking at this dyad of – Yuri Plasetsky and Victor and saying 
this person is not he's not the right fighter he's not doing the right things he's right. not looking after his sacrifice you know yuri is not being looked after properly right. and even before otobek's word appears on yuri Plasetsky, you get the sense that he is he disapproves because they're not doing it right yeah they're yep. not suited victor does not deserve <laughs> this sacrifice because he's not treating him properly yeah right yep. and yuri katsuki is doing the same thing yeah yuri katsuki is kind of doing yuri katsuki is thing. is like mm. why are why is his sacrifice not doing it right why, yeah, why is, is he yuri... interrupting him and like cutting him yeah. off in the middle of a spell and yeah yeah so it kind of goes both ways. They're just not suited for each other. But we, we are almost 40 minutes in. We should probably do the third tentpole. <laughs> the third tentpole, dear listeners, I get to tell you about this one. Thank you to Freya and Macy, who so generously chose the other tentpoles to introduce so that I could have this one, because this is the one that I wanted. Uh-huh. Um, this fic is Deconstruct by Flower City. Uh, it is a untamed uh, fanfic uh, about Zelen Wenji and Wei Wuxian, and this is one of the ones, it's a variation on both uh, the words of your soulmate are important, um, and also uh, a mark appears on your skin, mm-hmm. which is that th- in this one, whatever you write on your own skin appears on your soulmate. And so you can use it as like text messaging yep. <laughs> or, or letter writing. Um, you and could. So you, you could use it, or you could if you were anyone <laughs> except uh, Lan Wenji. <laughs> uh, so they, they find, or Lan Wenji finds out that he has a soulmate fairly early because his soulmate starts writing to him. Uh, and all of these messages he writes every day, and all of his messages start with, hello, soulmate. Um, just like telling him about his day and so forth, except, oh no, um, the land sect has <laughs> rules against this sort of thing. Of and, um, Lan Wenji's, uh, uncle thinks that he's going to be swept away like his father was and, um, has, has told him like, you shouldn't write back to your soulmate. Like you should, you should reject this. You should focus more on your studies and your cultivation <laughs> rather than like wasting your time on love. Um, and so Lan Wenji is, is very dedicated and he, he decides not to write t- back to his soulmate. Um, for like six years, this happens until, uh, and like Wei Wuxian still writes every single day, even though Lan Wenji has never replied to him. Um, and until Wei Wuxian turns up at the cloud recesses when all hell breaks loose. Yep. Uh, so this, what did you think of this one? I loved this one. I thought yep. this one was great. I really yeah. liked this because um, a lot of the times when you have young soul bonds, young soulmates and things where they get in touch early. So for example, the Vulcans who get bonded as children, you have this yeah. thing about them growing together, which I think is super mm-hmm. cool. Um, and so in this fic, we have a Wei Wuxian who is kind of shaping in some ways how Lan Wangji grows up. But Lan Wangji, because yeah. he's himself, kind of doesn't do right by Wei Wuxian, doesn't give mm-hmm. this sad, sometimes lonely child anyone to talk to um, and doesn't let Wei Wuxian grow up knowing him because Lan Wangji thinks that he's boring and not worth knowing. Yeah. And I'm just like, this mm. is sad. Play this and it gives you, I think that particular type of soul bond, you have to have something about the characters yes. that keeps them apart because yes. this one where whenever you write, you can use it like a text message as, as a basis for a soulmate universe, you can find them really easily. Hello, my name is such and such. This is where I live. You know, <laughs> yep. let's plan our lives together. Like it's a very easy form of communication as opposed to some of the other 
variance on words appearing on the like, skin, like the first word somebody says to you or just, mm-hmm. a, just a first name or things like that. This is a very easy method of communication. So you've got to have a, a barrier like Lan are not allowed to fall in love or reply to their soulmates. And because you have that asymmetry and the doubt in Wei Wuxian's mind, it means that he can then have a similar kind of falling in love with Lamanji without knowing that they're soulmates. Yeah. Oh, the power imbalance in that part of the fic, though. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Like, they have the, like, they clearly do have this profound connection, and, like, Wei Wuxian has already, like, written to Lan Wenji without telling him, like, I want to save my first kiss for you. I want that to only be for my soulmate. And then later, there's a part in the fic where they almost kiss, and Wei Wuxian does not know that Lan Wenji is his yeah. soulmate. Yeah, and so it's a little, it's a little fucked up, and I'm glad that Lan Wenji, like, went through the shit to, like, say sorry for... <laughs> Being a little bit of a shithead there. But it's also a very Wei Wuxian in character thing to do is to, if you then fall in love with someone else, to start being like, actually, screw the system. Yep. You know, this person has never replied to me. Actually, I really like this other person. Yeah. I'm just going to throw everything over and go for them instead. And if you genuinely don't know whether your soulmate is still alive, then like at some point you are going to have to move on and, and look for someone else, right? Well, I think in uh, this one they knew because like your words only get absorbed if your soulmate yes. is there to have them. If your soulmate's there. And there also were a couple of just like fun little set pieces that grew out of the world building, like having the- written all over, um, Wei Wuxian having written all over his arms and then they go into the, um, the cold springs and all of the ink washes away, but it takes some time for the ink to wash away on Wei Wuxian, so Lan Wanji has to hide his own arms under the water. <laughs> yeah, or Lan Wanji so wearing gloves, show. so we can't see that the writing is Yes, and wearing arms. gloves so that they can't yeah. be seen. And the writing property of Wei Wuxian on the forehead, <laughs> which is just the greatest. That was <laughs> it's a clever. great little fic. It's clever. a really good little fic. Shall, shall, shall yeah. we continue and yell yes. a little bit about some other variants on soulmate tropes? Yes. yes. So Macy, Macy tell, tell us <laughs> what Hanahaki disease is. <laughs> like, this is a very Macy trope. Yes. So this one comes out of, I want to say, either an actual piece of Japanese media or Japanese fandom. And this is basically when you fall in love with someone, you start growing flowers in your lungs and coughing them up. And if you don't confess and receive reciprocation, you will drown on the flowers of your love. It's very you. I'm just like, this is fucked up and I love mm-hmm. it. You're like coughing like uh, you have tuberculosis, but it's made of petals. Yeah. Weird plant bullshit. Yeah. It's Macy's thing. Yep. <laughs> Covered in blood. And that's about the bond is what cures you. Mm-hmm. Yes. You only have the disease while your love is unreciprocated. Unrequited. Yep, yep. Yep. And someone already uh, mentioned the first words. Yes. Where whatever the first thing you hear your soulmates say is the thing. Or, okay. Sometimes it's whatever is the first thing you hear them say. Sometimes it is the first words that they say to you directly. Mm-hmm. And the thing, the problem that I have with this one is that I always feel like fanfic writers don't push the world building far enough. Because if this is the rule... If this is the rule in your setting, then why has society not developed more of a system for figuring a database, a, data- a database, or at least like social kind of codes where like the first thing that you say to any person is like your name 
before you say hello, before you say, could you pass the salt? So, so that's my criticism. I think that there's there. a Tumblr post about that that went around a little while I ago. I think there probably was. Literally, everyone would just come up with a string of nonsense yes, words. Yes, that was their own <laughs> string of nonsense words that you would just say before you said anything else. Like you we go to get have a coffee. Unique identifiers. They're called names. <laughs> They're called names. <laughs> yeah. Except that names are not at all unique identifiers, and the history behind the whole point of using them as unique identifiers is hilarious and colonialist and all about tax. But let's not get into that. Fascinating. <laughs> yes. You don't want me to get me uh, going on that. But yeah, next... and we mentioned in the. Did you want to say anything more about that one? Or I just thought that Alex had given us a good segue to move quickly on into world building because we're going very late. Mm. But. That's right. I was going to just mention very briefly the idea of the red string of fate. Okay. uh, Which is, uh, comes again out of, I think, a Chinese legend, which is to do with destiny, that you are linked together to your fated person uh, by a matchmaking Mm -hmm. god who ties Mm. a red string around your finger and their finger. And it's not necessarily, doesn't have to be visible. It could just be this a metaphor for your soul bond. But I haven't really read many fics using this trope. Yeah. So I'm not quite sure how it's been subverted and played with, but I know it's definitely around. I've seen it uh, referenced in manga a lot, visually. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to say Skip Beat used it. Um, and there was also a haiku fic I was reading that subverted this a little bit in that everybody is born with like a finger that's wrapped around with lots of red threads, like pulling off in all different directions. Mm-hmm. And as you make choices over the course of your life, the threads fall away. Interesting. Until you're left well, with that's one. That's cool. Right? That nice. is very cool. Mm. And we see a lot of, I think, use of this imagery in fan art. Yeah. Yep. There's a lot of untamed fan art that makes use of the fact that Wei Wuxian's hair ribbon is red. Is a red thread. And also yeah. the fact, <laughs> the red thread, and also the fact that Lamanji's got a ribbon around his forehead. And there's a lot the of blue headband fan of art. devotion. <laughs> the blue headband of devotion and the red ribbon of fate. And there's a lot of bondage art. Yeah. Sort of. Yep. With the yeah. ribbons. I think that's canon, isn't it? Ribbons. Oh, yeah, probably. It's probably yeah, canon. Probably. But Alex was talking a little bit earlier about the impact that some of these soul bond things should have on world building. So what do we see coming from soulmates? Well, I think you can start with the basis of, is this literally just a method of finding a relationship? Mm-hmm. Mm. Or is there actually world building around the bond itself? So we were talking about Loveless, where the soulmate bond is the basis for a magical system. And Pacific Rim, where drifting and finding a sort of mental soulmate is the basis for being able to power a giant battle robot, <laughs> which amazing. Yeah. Yep. Uh, and, you know, there's this book called <laughs> Catalyst that somebody has recently edited. Some, somebody on this Macy. podcast. Yeah. I, have, I have absolutely no attachment to this trope or <laughs> thoughts about it whatsoever. Is that true? So <laughs> I just really like joint magic systems where you have to cooperate with someone because that's much more true to like accomplishing fucking anything Mm -hmm. in this Mm. world in my opinion uh Mm. and i like the idea that a bond is so important and has so much power that it can do something external it's literally not just find the person you're going to spend the rest of your life with but find the person you can then fight aliens with or find the person you can then do magic with it's a it's an act of creation rather than just Yes, we are well suited. It's a question of what is a soulmate for? Is it just mm. for being married to someone? Is it as in the ice barbarians 
to create babies? <laughs> is it to, you know, pilot a giant robot into a wormhole under the ocean and punch mm. a giant bug in the face? Yeah. So if you're going to be doing something with soulmates in something that you are writing, I think you have to make that decision. Is it literally just for marriage, yeah. essentially? But- but also, like, even if it is for marriage, which is totally valid because human relationships are super important to us, how does that affect different cultures? Is it perceived differently? There was this um, scum villain fic that I was reading called Fan, Sword and Flame, where the demon side of that world sees soulmates as almost a weakness compared to the humans who see it as kind of like a blessing. Mm-hmm. Um, so have you sat down and thought about how are different cultures perceiving this bond? Yeah. Hmm. And then if you're having something that has always existed in the world, mm. what structures have grown up around the society right. for that? So in today's society, you're right, there would be databases, there would be use okay of the Cupid. internet, yeah. basically. Okay, Cupid, to say, okay, how can I find... How can I find my soulmate? Whereas, you know, maybe three centuries ago, if your soulmate was born into a culture on the other side of the world, you're shit out of luck. You had no way of yep. contacting them, then yeah, you're shit out of luck. And maybe soulmates became something that was more in fiction. Yeah. And it would be nice if you could find your soulmate, mm. but almost nobody ever did. Yeah, for real. And that, as opposed but to. Then that, and now dating agencies. That brings into question, like, are they really your soulmate if you're never going to meet them? Like, like you have to you have to sort of mm. interrogate the the actual magical part of this as well like yes. is mm. is your soulmate the person who is meant for you and if they really are meant for you aren't you going to get an opportunity to meet them at some point in your life or are they the platonic ideal that would be perfect for right. you who you might never encounter for right. real. And so, like, it would be really interesting to watch the range of possible soulmates increase, like, like 500 years ago before the internet, because the internet was invented, as you know, 499 years ago. Um, <laughs> um, Are we talking about the telegraph? Or something. <laughs> like, with technology, like, as technology sure. increases the... Um, the distance that we can reach for people um maybe soulmates start appearing farther and farther away whereas like in the pre-industrial era like maybe your soulmate like lives just one town over or like in the same neighborhood macy looks very excited about something yeah i i I am very excited so i just watched um the old guard which is amazing hearing good but now i have this idea of like what if you formed like a crack military attack squad or like a heist villain yeah. squad full of people who hadn't yet met their soulmates because they know they can't die until they do. That'd be cool. Right? That'd be very cool. And then obviously, like you're fated. Yeah, and then obviously the inciting incident is that the uh, Danny Ocean of the group suddenly runs into their soulmate while yep. scoping out for a heist and goes, uh-huh. fuck. Yep. <laughs> fuck. Suddenly mortal shit. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that'd be That's fun. That's some pretty good stakes right, right there. Mm. But you're right in that, like, that kind of world building is all about to what extent is this actually about destiny? Right. Mm. Is this something that is going to happen in your life or is it something that you have to actively chase? And we're going, or it will we're going to talk a lot more about destiny on the next episode, which is about The Witcher, which we already recorded because we're doing this out of order. <laughs> um, yes. Yep. Destiny. Child surprise. Child surprise. Which to yep. me always sounded like a weird ice cream flavor. Oh, yeah, I see it now. I see it. I do see it now. (laughs) So there's one more thing on the world building side of soulmates, which is if you know for sure Mm -hmm. that you're going to get a soulmate, what is dating and what is sexuality? 
right? Is there any yeah. point dating if you know that the person who's perfect for you is out there and is not this person that you are hooking up with on Tinder? I mean, I always find it somewhat suspect when fix are like, no, everybody just stays celibate until they meet the one because that's not how humans. It's that's just not, not how, not humans, how do. humans do. Yeah. But like, what do you do if you are destined for a soulmate who is the wrong gender for you? Well, there's an Estelle. Exactly. <laughs> is there? Which one? Of course there is. <laughs> Which one is this one? Well, one, one of the, the Fast and the Furious ones where um, Dom Toretto has the, the name of his soulmate appear just mm. out of the blue one day, and it's a man's and name. Like, but, um, and he'd never thought of himself great. as being bisexual, but he's like, oh, shit. Well, I, I guess, guess I am now. Because, Word you know, of God says I liked it. Yeah, because destiny's destiny. Uh, but he's annoyed about it. His girlfriend is very annoyed yeah. about it. Oh, I bet. <laughs> and of course it has a lot like, of stuff to I do like with... like, I like dick too, but like, it doesn't mean you need to right. add one. Yeah, and it's, it's a fic that plays with identity porn and the idea that somebody is undercover under a different name. Mm. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. it's it's to do with this idea that your name might appear, it might not appear, it might appear at a very inconvenient time, and it might be somebody of... Gender or of a place in life that you had not expected, yeah, or a number of people. Um, but I think that there's a lot of atypical kind of non-romantic ways that one can do soulmates, right? Yes, which brings us to like my big question for this episode, which was, do soulmates always have to be sexual? And I think no, right? Because like I really like right. I really like the fix, which explore like what is a soulmate. Like, let's explore what that profound bond means without the aspect right. of, of sex. And Pacific Rim takes a very non-sexual approach yes. to soulmates. Yeah, yeah. I love that. I love their relationship because it's not just friends. You cannot look at them and say, these two are right. friends. They are partners. Right? There's something really deep there between the two pa- the two characters whose names I will never manage to remember. Mako, uh, Mako Mori and, and in Pacific the boy. The white boy. The dude. The dude. <laughs> yeah, the white boy. Mako Mori and uh, exactly. the guy. <laughs> the dude. Anyway, <laughs> there's a film that's come out recently called The First Cow. Rally. His name's Rally. trying to get me anyway. to watch. There we go. Riley. Why is his name? Rally or something. Rally. Rally? See, we don't even know what his name is, even when he knows what his name is. <laughs> I'm just like first Googling cow. as we speak. Macy, tell us about this movie. <laughs> uh, no, queer, queer platonic life partners. Love it. Okay. Yeah. Right. Not not this movie in specific, but like that's kind of the reading that my friend who was talking about it was giving to this movie and saying why we should watch it. Yeah. But in general, I think that saying soulmates have to be sexual is also not true to how humans Mm -hmm. That erases anyone who is ace or chooses not to have sex. I don't know. There's like a lot of ways to be human. Right. And like it also erases like how profound and affecting a friendship can be and like how much Mm -hmm. of an impact a a best friend can have on your life more so in some cases than like romantic partners. Mm -hmm. Um, And like you can have like... My friendship, every single one of my friendships has lasted longer than my longest um, personal relationship, uh, like romantic relationship. And so like, it's just nice to to see fan fiction like addressing the fact that even when there is the sexual relationship, like it's not really about that. Like sure. fan fiction is so much about like, let's make them bone at whatever 
in whatever means necessary. Um, sometimes. But, sometimes. Sometimes. Um, a lot of it. Uh, but for example, I read a, a Yuri on Ice fic where Yuri's mom uh, is still married to Yuri's dad, but her soulmate is just a best friend. Like they get together, they talk for hours, they exchange recipes. They're like super, super important parts of each other's lives, but they're not mm. the only part of each other's lives. So Which is healthier. It's healthier. Yeah, it's a lot healthier. And like, it's just a more interesting way of looking at relationships to say like, you right. can have this person who's the most important person to you, um, but who's not the only important person. And I think that that's kind of pulling apart this whole Western narrative of the nuclear family yeah. and how you should have this holy marriage. Even yes. if it's to someone of the same gender or something else, it's still kind of embedded for even even us queers kind of do this to ourselves sometimes by accident. It's hard to unpick the mm -hmm. idea that you need a romantic partner to build your life around. Yeah. Hmm. Which is bull. Building then on what you just said, Macy, Obviously, this is a really, really, really popular trope. You know, the yes. idea of soulmates. We, we enjoy reading about it in fiction for a reason. And someone put a dot point here, which I think is great, which is that soulmates is the romance version of the dragon or animal <laughs> companion bond, which we had in quite an early episode about. But it's, it's true. Like, we talk a lot about this idea of someone who knows you completely and loves you anyway. And yeah, yep. this kind of comes at it sideways. Like the soul bond in your soulmate is someone who loves you completely, no matter what. Just, and yes. is it just because they're fated to, or is it because this right. is the person, they are your soulmate because they are the person who would know all of you and then love you. Yeah. And it's also like this super fucked up philosophy or like belief um, that I deserve someone. Mm -hmm. Like, I am owed someone. Yes, there um, is definitely one person out there for me. It's the, 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 like, incel thing. Like, I am owed a woman! Um, <laughs> the red <Gross>. pill thing. <laughs> yeah. uh, right. And I'm like, I really appreciate how thoughtful a lot of fanfic is about this. Um, about making sure that there is also consent in soulmate mm -hmm. situations. Because a lot of places are very careful to make sure that that's the case. But it would be easy for there not to need to be consent. And there does need to be consent. Yeah. Yes. I yes, think yes, yes. The reason it works so well in fan fiction is because, as usual, we are coming into it pre-sold on the idea that these yep. two people are compatible. But if you are going to be building MFO. building a soulmate universe that could embrace the whole of human experience and human diversity, right. you would want there to be what happens for asexual people, what happens for aromantic people who maybe don't want right. there to be right. one mm -hmm. person for them. And I think, yeah, if you're actually digging in and building it, and creating a properly diverse and interesting world, you'd want it to be like that. Mm -hmm. But sometimes you just have two people that you already know are in love, <laughs> and you want them to find yep. out about it. <laughs> hey everybody, thanks for joining us for this episode of Be the Serpent, a podcast of extremely, extremely deep literary merit. Soulmates and soul bonds are such fascinating vehicles for drama, aren't they? They're kind of the stuff of dreams, but if you scratch the surface, sometimes the implications are a lot darker than you might think. Like, how can consent and free will stand up against fate in a world where made-for-each-other is literal? 
Anyway, I'm super glad we got to dig into this, since Mayday's Fated is one of my favourite Yuri on Ice fics, and it wrestles with this question with so much yearning. We have some even more exciting topics to talk about in upcoming episodes. On the next week, two weeks hence on August 11th, we will be deep diving into the small screen glory of The Witcher! So if you want to prepare in advance, one of, and in fact the only tentpole for that episode, is The Witcher! So if you have a friend who's into stuff like that, maybe give them a heads up. In the meantime, feel free to continue the conversation with us. Questions? Comments? Breathless adulations? Contact us at serpentcast at gmail.com, at serpentcast on Twitter and Tumblr, or join in the conversation in our fan Discord chat, which is linked on the About the Show page of our website. If you enjoy the podcast, please consider supporting us on Patreon. And by the way, your soulmate is so lucky to be fated to you. <laughs> <laughs>